Ladies and gentlemen, friends, welcome to the next exciting episode of the Mosby Winning Podcast. My name is Dan Hurd. I'm joined, as I occasionally am, by Adam Costix. Adam, how, how are you? Hey, Dan. How the hell are you? I'm good. I'm good. It is uh, good to pull up with you again. I know. It's been a minute. It's been, it's been a long while. It's been like, like six months since the last Mosby. And I, I didn't bother going through the archives to see when the last time it was a uh, Adam and Dan show, but uh, it's been March thirtieth last year. No kidding, March thirtieth. I, I looked it up this uh, this afternoon because my my daughter she's like, "How many podcast listeners do you have? Why are you doing this podcast?" So she was asking a lot of questions, and I played her the last episode, oh, March thirtieth, two thousand twenty-one. That no was kidding. the last episode. It, yeah. Well, do I have to mind my p's and q's here or what? No, absolutely not. We didn't play that much. She okay. lost interest very, very, very quickly. She wanted to know about the views, and we're not going to tell her about the views. Uh, Millions. And, and Millions. At length, about where they're coming from, she yeah. uh, she lost interest really quickly. Oh, like Turkey and, you know. Yeah, Turkey. Well, we're yeah. still a big deal there. Um, yeah. At least we were about a year and a half ago. Things change. The L&D Turkey podcast theme is not very big, and it's it's easy to break into, so it's kind of a big one. <laughs> yes, it is. But yeah, that, um, that episode, you know, interestingly enough, we talked about uh, uh, personality profiles, and, and I was yeah. kind of looking through it, and just scrolling yeah. through it. So it was me, you, and uh, personality profiles. We talked about Myers-Briggs and uh, all that good stuff. Well, you know, I find myself talking about those every now and then in my nine to five. It seems like, uh, well, all this stuff kind of comes into rotation. Uh, if you want to find yourself in our rotation, send an email too, because Adam, he watches his inbox like a hawk. I know, like, like daily. Hawk. He's got like a daily reminder to check it in the past year. Uh, do you have an? Do we? Did we get an email recently? You know, I haven't even checked, but yet today, and I have to oh, say, yeah, yet. yeah, yeah, uh, the yet, alarm, of course. Yeah. You know, and so I will check this uh, probably as we're talking here, just to see if we get any yeah. emails. Anybody from Portland that's calling in, we will figure that out uh, in this episode. Hopefully, we All will. Right, but so I will check it at the learning at gmail.com. Nicely done. We appreciate your patience in our reply. Um, <laughs> once we check that, I'm sure we'll be all over it. But uh, if you want to check out the show notes for this episode, there's probably not going to be too many uh, articles referenced. But if you do want to pass it along to a friend, mosby.ca slash 036 is where you're going to find this one. Um, and we'll cover off, if we want to cover off social media stuff at the end, Adam. Uh, we certainly can. But did you want to, uh, is there... Are, are you, you still... I don't know if we can. I have you... Hey, if I'm not mistaken, you cut out social media again. Are you, are you back on the horse? Are you off no. the horse? I'm wagging. I'm Where are we at? Social media. The pageantry of a podcast episode, but no, I, I have no interest in social media. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, uh, the friends out there, about two, three weeks ago, I actually deleted all social media from my phone with, I'm going to say the exception of, and it depends how you define things, YouTube is still on my phone, but um, uh, there's no LinkedIn, there's no Twitter, there's no Instagram. I haven't had Facebook for years. So um, yeah, the only thing I really have on there is messaging apps to message fine folks like yourself. Which is interesting because about a year and a half ago, you did the first experiment where you got rid of your phone. You got rid of the yeah. iPhone. You did the uh, the old flip phone. And yeah, so I did. You cut out social media. So you kind of go through phases here, back and forth, social media, yes. And then I'm experimenting. 
there you go. I'm experimenting with where it is because I have a hard time uh, doing a little bit of a thing. I can do a thing or I can not do a thing. Those are the kind of the two things that I can handle. And uh, yeah, it's, it's way easier to just not do the thing. Yes, um, there but, you go. Well, you're going to yeah. have to get back on. With uh, Twitter's coming on strong, Elon's buying Twitter. Hey, so, man. and he, actually, I heard tonight he may not be buying Twitter. So that might have all been. Who did you hear just that fun. from? What's your source? I'm telling you, an article. I read the titles. Yeah, uh, on yeah. CNN, and there was an article that talked about was this that Huffpo it, is Canada. Is that what it was? Was that? Huffpo Canada? Is that what, is that what, is that what your reference is? <laughs> Huffpo Canada. Yes, and that's where I get all my news. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> dot ca uh but no yeah actually it sounded like it's not going to go through so that'd be interesting uh developments with the twitter and elon and everything like that i I want everybody just to relax out there because adam's not known for his sources so this this may have (laughs) there there may be only smoke to this fire there may be only smoke but you've heard it here first on the most podcast so that's true we'll start some rumors and get that on the uh on the google uh Google search bar, so yeah. people will come into there and they'll figure hey, it out. So, even so a blind good. squirrel finds a nut every now and then. So <laughs> they do. In good shape. All right. They do. Um, so we don't really have a ton to cover. I bet this is going to be a relatively short episode. There was a couple of things that we wanted to talk about. Um, but yeah, and I know Adam mentioned it. Um, uh, wait, what is it? MosbyLearning at gmail.com? Is that what it is? That is. Yeah. Okay. So that's the email address if you want to send a note to us. And um, the so speaking of kind of the YouTube and, and, and that sort of scene, the, the uh, social media scene, the one thing that I had kind of penned recently, if we're just going to jump into things here, I had uh, put a little article together and I posted it to Mosby.ca and I put it on uh, LinkedIn because, well, I get three more readers on LinkedIn than I do on Mosby. So it's. It's up to like five, um, but it was, uh, I put this out in February where it's called when podcasting became dangerous and how you can do it too. Uh, and this was, this was kind of a, a near and dear topic to me because, you know, we've been doing, well, I did my first podcast. I, I, I recently misstated this. Uh, my first podcast, I think it was 2015, which is, yes. yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit, it's seven years ago, right? Like, so, and I certainly wasn't one of the OGs. Um, but I was kind of dabbling earlier on than a lot of folks were. And so I've kind of seen the space grow and it's interesting and it's different. It's changing. And, um, you know, Spotify came in and Spotify purchased or, or made a deal with, uh, with Joe Rogan, uh, which was really interesting. That was in 2020, I think towards the end of 2020, cause, uh, well, the world was kind of going crazy back then. And I think um, Mr. Mr. Rogan was going to make a big move or two. So he did. He moved to Texas and he moved exclusively to Spotify. Um, and he did that for a couple of reasons. And one of the big ones was so he could maintain creative control. And, you know, I, I know I, I probably should have already given folks a trigger warning. There was, because I used the name Joe Rogan. There was a podcast that myself. <laughs> oh, uh, you're going to uh, get canceled. Already. First episode back in a year and a half. Canceled. Already out. We're done. Well, I was on, a, I was on, a, I think it was an ATD session with, uh, with Betty, uh, Betty D. Uh, if you ask Betty, and it was about, we do this kind of like uh, this song and dance thing about p- corporate podcasting that me and her do every now and then. And uh, we got a pretty good, uh, pretty good deal. We got it all figured out. We got good pattern and all that jazz. And uh, early on in the session, and we had a few hundred people on and it was, a, you know, an ATD sanctioned event. 
and uh, she asked, you know, what do you listen to? Do you like Joe Rogan? Yeah. I said, yeah, I do. I'm a fan of Joe Rogan. And uh, the feedback that we got afterwards was generally very nice, except for one. Uh, I think it was a lady. I think it was a lady. Uh, well, I guess I don't know. But uh, one person who was uh, rather took issue with the fact that I would say something as ridiculous as I am a fan of Joe Rogan. Um, and I didn't, uh, well, I didn't, I didn't list all the things he's horrible for. And she thought that was just very irresponsible for ATD to have a, have a session that allowed somebody wow. to use the name Joe Rogan, uh, which is, which is bananas. It's bananas. And it really comes back to the social media thing, you know, and I guess I've, I've just become a bit of a curmudgeon, a bit of a grumpy old man, but Jesus Christ, like social media is such a hot mess. And, um, the uh, the ability for people to want to restrict or, or or control not only what people say but whatever the people can hear as well that really bothers me that really 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 bothers me and you guys down south in America have a, 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 you know at least you have that First Amendment which is pretty damn nice um, and then of course it's backed up by the Second. Uh, which is probably why the first has stayed so very strong. And it's probably not a popular view for me to say that, but up here in Canada, we don't necessarily have those same sets of rules. And there are different restrictions on speech that we have here that legally you can go to jail for, you know, making jokes about somebody that you shouldn't make jokes about. And, and that's, you know, I, I think we can all agree there's language that's not nice and mean, but to, to make things illegal is, is a bit of a different you know, it's a bit of a different thing. Um, you know, and I, I don't want to turn this into a whole whole weird uh, podcast, but, you know, we're rapidly getting there. I guess what I was trying to encourage, because I do, you know, I've got a corporate podcast or a, a podcast at my nine to five. Um, and I haven't done a, an episode there in a little while either, just because, you know, my my time has been focused elsewhere right. at work. But it's it's one of those things where podcasting as a as a platform was kind of brought up a lot of times in the mainstream media as, well, this is kind of dangerous. Would people are allowed to say things like this? My gosh. Um, you know, I, I don't know, Adam, because you are, in fact, an American living in America. I am not. I am. Did you see a different kind of tone of, of, of conversation around podcasting? And, no, and, I, I think it was just social media in general, right? And social okay. media gives people a platform to really go crazy. I mean, I, 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 I do envy you for being off completely social media because sometimes I just have to turn it off because I, yeah. I, I look at things like next door app where people mm. are just yelling at each other and these are our neighbors. I mean, my goodness, somebody made a left turn the other day and then everybody <laughs> came on and needs to go to driving school. And this person needs to go to driving school and you can't tell me what to do. And that's a right turn. And I, and then it turns into a gun thing always here in Texas. It's a lot yes. about guns. We get into guns all the time. It's Someone's going to shoot somebody. If they come onto my lawn, it's a very big thing in next door. Um, so I don't know if it was podcasting in general, but I, I, I would take a step back there on the, on the Joe Rogan side is you know you bring up his name he's such a polarizing figure but you have to give the man credit he has built from podcast of just sitting in his garage talking to other comedians into the world's number one podcast and what he did for the podcasting is he made it mainstream and there's a lot of lessons to be learned forget the topics he talks about or some of his conspiracy theories I was listening to uh, Duncan Trussell and him talking today, and they were talking about conspiracy theories. So it went way, way, way oh, yeah. deep. 
however, what it shows is a lot of things. Everyone talks and really applies to learning. Everyone, oh, we got to have micro learning, nano learning, which is our favorite, just nano learning as mm-hmm. short as can be. But he proved a point that, you know what, you can go into a long form podcast and people will listen. His average episode is about three hours long. Yeah. You can do podcasting and put it as free and there's really no advertising. He doesn't do advertising. He gives one little segment of advertising for two two minutes that you can fast forward through. Yeah, He is actually not charging for his episodes. Interestingly enough, as I was looking through um, podcast episodes, um, Dave Chappelle has a podcast out there, Midnight it's called Midnight Run. He charges $4.99 per season for the Dave Chappelle. And to show it's with um, it's with a couple of people. I was just literally on it. And I thought it was very interesting. So you can't even... It's called Midnight Miracle. Um, and it has uh, Taleb Koli, Black Thought, um, a couple of ex- executive producers that are really big in the music side. $4.99 he charges for the content. Joe Rogan does none of that. Interesting. Just real quick, though. I mean, if it's if it's not um, so, Rogan's ad sponsored, right? And and if the other if if Chappelle's is not ad sponsored, like just kind of that behind the paywall model. So it's it's kind of one way or the other. Um, Well, it's ad sponsored, but it Rogan's isn't really ad sponsored like many others, right? So like if you listen to a lot of other podcasts, they put ads right within it, and his come in, and you can fast forward right right into it yeah. it's not where you have to listen to it sure, sure. You can fast gotcha. forward it there's that three minutes in yep. there so that's why i think it's a little bit different than some of the other ones okay. i've listened to um from a medium perspective though it does allow people to say whatever's on their mind so you know all of our loyal listeners get to hear what's on our mind um so but i don't think to answer your question of you know did it get dangerous did people start talking just podcasts i don't know if it's talked necessarily podcast i think it's just social media in general and it's funny we started the episode talking about twitter yeah. twitter is a polarizing platform also um very similar to podcasts because people are able to put lots of whatever they think about things into the into well the kind of so that's that's part of the problem is they're not allowed to put it on everything right and the problem is if you say, you know, all the topics ever, well, there's some awful, awful topics in there, right? Then as soon as you start picking which topics you don't want to have, well, then it's like, okay, now we're putting subjectivity into this. And now we got to have your opinion. That's different than that guy's opinion. That's different than hers. So whose opinion is it? And right now it's everybody's really strong opinions that are not allowed to be heard or not everybody's, but that's kind of the idea. And that's why his actual circumstance was different with Spotify. Cause, and so here's why I was thinking this is, this is this, this podcast concept is a bit of a standout piece because Spotify said, yes, you can come here and you can say whatever you want to say. You have complete creative control. If you want to take an episode down, you take an episode down. We're not doing it. Um, and every other platform, unless they have a deal like that with a specific creator, that's not the case. They trim off the ends and usually one end is trimmed a lot harder than the other. Um, so anyways, you know, I I just, I I put this article together because it was really in my head space as far as uh, when, when podcasting in general comes up as a kind of a dangerous concept, it's because there's the ability, at least the ability to go outside of who somebody's corporate sponsors might be to actually spread a message. And it seems like they've been pretty effective at doing that. Um, you know, thinking about thinking about Rogan, like you had said, he's he built the number one thing in the world. 
uh, podcast, seemingly accidentally, right? Like I'm sure he works hard, but it didn't seem, Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say accidentally, maybe he put a lot of thought into it, but it just really seems like he just has casual conversations with people he's interested in talking to. And if that three hour conversation format about whatever this guy happens to be into is somehow number one, if everybody out there, especially this is what blew my mind about this person that took issue with it. If, if you're coming to a thing to learn about podcasting and the number one podcast out there comes up, you got to kind you of probably a, listen to it. You yeah. should probably listen to it. He's doing something right. Well, and you got to wonder why. Like, so why, why did it get to number one? And maybe it's because things that he talks about and his guests talk about have a little bit more weight in the world than the things that you want to hear about. Right. And I would argue, you know, it's a funny two points to that. Um, Interestingly, specifically on the Duncan Trussell episode, which is just from this week, and they had talked about sponsorship. And he talks about how he gets in trouble sometimes with sponsors and he has to let them go because they ask him, hey, in the whole conversation was about directing the media and whatnot. They were talking, they were going down deep rabbit holes, but he was saying like some sponsors want me to ensure that there's no language on my podcast. He goes, a lot of times I'll have a scientist on. You don't think a scientist is going to say anything, but it's an open form podcast. They may drop the F-bomb. It may happen. Mm -hmm. I can't stop that, nor will I stop that. So I have to let sponsors go all the time on that. And I think that's a a very, very interesting thing. And the other point that I would love if you had that person's information to ask them and say, have you listened to some of the articles, listen to some of the episodes? Because, I often find, too, especially listening to Rogan, it's going to be a Rogan love fest on this episode of our podcast. But what's interesting is is a lot of times you see the headlines. He said this, did this, or did that. If you actually listen to the episode, that's not the context. The context is completely missing of that three and a half hours of the conversation. Now, is there some things that are probably tongue-in-cheek, things that probably aren't appropriate? Absolutely. But a lot of times the media will run the difference – the, the different headlines will go into information that wasn't really said or it's taken completely out of context. Yeah. And it happens a lot because he's number one. And because that, uh, that podcast talks about anything and everything is yeah. on the table, yeah. everything across the board. Yeah, pretty much. So anyways, that was, uh, that was my two cents. And I'll, I'll include the uh, link to the article in the show notes, mosby.ca slash zero six three. Shameless nope, plug 26. to get some uh, views oh. on this article. Yeah. Well, I didn't yeah. have much to talk about. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, and you but know, you know what? It ties into the next topic that I think um, it really ties into one of the things that's been hot on my mind recently. And, you know, we started talking about this before I came on this podcast, Dan, is, you know, people changing jobs. And mm-hmm. actually, in the last year and a half, I've changed jobs and, you know, went through this interview process, went through interviewing with companies, going into interviews, doing panel interviews, talking to a lot of people. And, you know, I'd love to talk through how we interview in learning and development. And it ties into actually how you got your job when you applied with me mm-hmm. and when you said we you'd never together. tell anybody I did those things, Adam <laughs> you swore. It was interesting. But one of the big things that actually helped you get the job was the, and I might butcher it training by fire podcast. That was it. Yeah, that was it. So that's yep. trained by fire. I still remember it. And I remember saying back then, which was almost seven years ago when we had first met, 
this guy's got a podcast. It was actually new. It was a, kind of a novel thing. But yep. you had a podcast at that point. I'm like, holy shit, this guy has a podcast. I don't know anybody who has a podcast. And he had a podcast at that point. Never really listened to too many of the uh, episodes. Yeah, However, we, we know how you operate, Costas. I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a podcast. All right, check. Check, check the box. Um, but it was interesting because you had that. Um, but going through this interview process, it, you know, was that beneficial? I think it was. And now you think about like learning and development. Is a portfolio beneficial? Do you, when you interview people, and I think you just recently hired some people, mm-hmm. do you make check their portfolio if they're doing instructional design? Uh, if they were, yeah, actually. So, yes, I, uh, I did hire... Um... Uh, we hi- we had an opening. I don't know how to talk about this because I don't know if it's a thing I'm allowed to or supposed to. But anyway, so we had an opening for an ID. We hired an ID and I did. She Now, she was not um, she was not an ID. And what I was looking for was I was looking for ID-like skills. Uh, she was actually an internal candidate and she had ID like skills. She had media editing skills and she actually had, uh, she put together a lot of recipe videos, recipe um, things on Instagram. And so she's developed a lot of content that kind of bumps up against, you know, which actually I would argue from an ID perspective in the, the modern ID, um, social media editing, video editing, yeah. Um, is is actually critically important. So interestingly enough, I saw a post um, today on LinkedIn, and they were talking about portfolios. And they were saying, you know, hey, got to have a portfolio. And then other people were saying, yeah, I've taken my portfolio down because people copy it. Um, Tim Slade actually had a post in there that he interviewed somebody who took his work and put it in their portfolio. And he was interviewing them and they were passing it off on their own. Throughout this thread, I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, from what I've known, I've never met wow. Tim Slade, but I've seen enough videos. He seems like the nicest guy, but I could almost yeah. tell in his tone and the emails, he was not a happy camper when he was like, <laughs> hey, how you doing? This is my stuff. No, nope, this is my stuff. <laughs> and so they wow. actually took his information, put it on portfolio. And so he, as the thread started um, going down, there is companies out there that make an ID as part of the interview process, do a case study and create something. Mm. Have you ever done that? Do you make people do something different or do you put more into the portfolio from an interview side? And I can say both both ways. Yeah, no, I mean, you want to get a baseline for them as a human being. So you got to do the interview. Um, But the I suppose the one gal that I worked or that I hired as an ID previously, uh, a couple years back, I she showed um, – so basically she kind of took a bit of a work product and, you know, modified it to the point where she made it her own. So she demonstrated her skills, I felt, in at least in, in a way that proved it was her. So it wasn't so much like I need to prove this is your work. I think she had proved that in in kind of an in-between sort of way. But um, I've actually been on the other end of it where I had to – where I work right now. But as I was kind of interviewing for this role, I had applied to a different one. And I was offered the position there. But I declined that shit because, (laughs) um, man, the the, the manager of that position seemed like he was like, everybody's going to work 80 hours a week and we are going to love it. Yeah. We're going to love it. Yes. Like, well, I don't know about that, pal. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he had me, um, 
So this was fun. While my wife was in the hospital with our premature child and we were trying to move from one house to the other, I remember taking, yeah, everything was upside down in my life at that time. But um, I remember having to take my computer out of one apartment into the temporary house we were moving into to set it up so I could get this goddamn thing submitted like that night. So I wasn't in the best place, but I put together a a kind of a nice deck and I remember the guy shit on it and I didn't care for that. He's like, well, you know, I don't care much about the format. It's more about the activities. I'm like, well, you gave me a three line fricking sample. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to make out of that champ, but um, (laughs) yeah, it wasn't meant to be there. But um, well, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's from an ID perspective, I want to validate that it's really the person who did it. So I'm okay with a portfolio. However, I'd like to ask a couple questions to make sure that it is really their work and that they know how they got to that portfolio because a portfolio yeah. should be really good, right? If it's your portfolio that you're using across the board, you've got infinite time to put that together. So I like to see some type of work, you know, regardless of what it is, I want to see it. And I want you to walk me through your process of creation, because generally, if they can walk you through the process of creation on an ID side, you're going to understand, did they really create it? Um, And that's usually where we go from a trainer side, though, I do like to see a trainer do a presentation. And, you know, we've talked about that numerous episodes Mm -hmm. ago, actually a couple years ago, but I always think it's important to do a presentation of something, of a topic of your choice to show that you can actually present in front of an audience um, because that's where the the rubber kind of meets the road for our facilitators. Can they actually facilitate a conversation or present in front of teammates? And so I think that that is a prerequisite. However, when I look at the overall process, I don't think it should be six interviews, seven interviews. It really should be possibly three yeah. Maybe a fourth if just a leader and like a two-up leader needs to talk. If. But any more than that, I think it needs to stop there. Yeah. And that's what I'm running into with friends right now. I'm hearing a lot across the board of people taking six interviews. Dan, I got to tell you, when I was in November, when I, before I got this job with, with um, where I'm currently working, I was interviewing with a company and I had gone through five interviews. I had three more set up on a Friday. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I had already got the job at this other place. And I, I went into the interview and they're like, oh, it's going to be a case study. I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. I could be, love to do a case study, whatever. We can talk. And we started going into the interview. And as I was in the interview, they started talking about Excel spreadsheets and going into formulas. Well, I'm a learning and development manager. So we started going into what is the output and we started, the good news is I know profit and loss a little bit. So we started going into a profit and loss and we started going deep into the numbers. Then they started asking me to fill out um, and, and come up with calculations on the spot in this interview. And I got to tell you, and it was for a pretty great job. Um, I don't know about a great company at this point, <laughs> but I walked away from the job and I actually stopped the interview at that point. And so I'm five interviews in yeah. and I said, you know what, guys, thank you. This isn't for me. I was interviewing for a learning and development job. Um, now, granted, it was high up. But however, I would never have anything to do with what I currently do. And it had nothing, no relevance to it. And it, there was all, also other interviews set up behind that with new people. 
So it wasn't just talking of, hey, you need to talk to the same people, more panel interviews with them. It was all new people. So I was being paraded around the organization. And I'm like, at that point, I was still working at my previous organization. I was basically taking the day off just to continue to interview with other times that I was taking off from there. And I think in the space right now, there's a lot of jobs that are open. But there's also a lot of hiring that we're not people aren't doing because they're going through five interviews. Um, how many interviews do you take your people through? Uh, generally, uh, two, maybe three. Two, maybe three. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because I think uh, you know, I've only been cards on the table. I've only been um, an L and D manager type for, I guess, a couple of years now, and I'm still kind of you know getting my feet on the ground there, getting my sea legs. So. Uh, I, I guess the reason I bring that up is because the the my process to get comfortable with people is maybe shorter than it should be. Um, and I think if I get a few more miles, I'm going to understand the situation a little bit better to, to, to know the questions a little bit better to kind of expand that process out a bit or to know when it would make sense to loop in my boss and say, you know what, I really want you to sit with this person as well. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's largely two, maybe a third, maybe. Yeah. Cause I was gonna say, you know, at my last org, I heard what, 50 people on the team over the last six years, maybe 55, yeah. The total of the team over six and a half years. And, you know, we, we think about it, the process was, hey, phone screen, meet with the hiring manager, and then a panel interview, right? And that panel yeah. interview included that presentation. And I think the panel yeah. interview was an opportunity to also see culture fit and meet the team, yeah. right? You know, if you're an ID, let's take you through your work. If you're a presenter, let's do that. If you're a manager, meet the team. Uh, you know, we did that for the, uh, you know, met the managers there. And, you know, at the end of the day, that fourth interview was only if I wanted that person to interview above me with one person or a business partner, but keeping it tight. And, you know, what I've seen is there's people, I, I was through it, you know, and, and when I started interviewing back um, with other organizations, you would apply and never get calls back. You would apply and you'd have an interview. And then three weeks later, get a call back and go, hey, we're going to set up your, your next interview. And it was really interesting to see how organizations lose really good people. And I can think of a company, it's an insurance company that I was also a candidate with. 45 days after a third interview with them, they called me back for another interview. And I was in contention the whole time. And that's why I, like, I blew them off at that point. But I hadn't heard anything back, so I assumed I didn't get it. And then out of the blue, the recruiter called me. It was 45 days and said, hey, we would like you to meet. But there was no contact in between that. Yeah, that's weird. It was. And weird. But I'm seeing the same thing, hearing it with lots of our counterparts. We were texting with one earlier today. Mm. And um, so I think it's just really interesting about how – organizations are hiring right now extending out the process and i will tell you part of the reason why i I joined the process of where i've joined and i could give a shameless plug for my new organization it was a great process all the way through i met with the hiring manager the first day i asked for extra interviews i asked to meet and talk to other people because i wanted to understand the culture and Mm -hmm. they were like absolutely you can and got me a name of somebody else to talk to i had a panel interview and i think I had one more, if, if I really remember right, like a formal interview, a third yeah. one. 
and it was smooth. It was quick, great communication. And they talked about culture. I had questions, answered every single question. And it was just, it was simple. And I, I think a lot of that was, you know, at the end of the day, when I was thinking about moving organizations, I mean, I had a good thing going. It made it simple. It made it easy. And it made me intrigued to want to leave as a candidate. And yeah. that it said, hey, they got their stuff together. And I want to leave as a candidate and I want to come into work for this organization for some of those ones of, hey, it's been 45 days. Come on over and let's talk. Yeah, that's weird. I remember, uh, yeah, I think everybody's had an experience like that, you know, They and, and it really kind of, I, I recently had the opportunity to hire some folks in and I, I tried to incorporate a couple of those lessons, but I found that there's still some like, wow, we got these two people on the line. We got to see what's going on with them before we can tell the other person what's happening. It's like, oh my God. So much bullshit and paperwork and waiting and over the weekend sort of stuff. So it's messy and complicated, you know, so that's, I think that's one of the only things that I'll give to corporations at large, you know, uh, Adam, uh, well, I guess we both have quite a few ties still in the, uh, the mortgage industry and it's recently taken a bit of a hit because of the inflation uh, situation these days. So, you know, a lot of people have been kind of, finding, well, maybe a new home, hopefully, or maybe they're just hanging out on their couch for a little bit because they've been laid off and things are kind of ugly. So there's a lot more people in the uh, in the market right this second than there were because of all the layoffs. So it's kind of complicated things. But uh, there's there's this tension, it seems like, that's between organize, large organizations having to do tough things like, yeah, okay, we are not making the money to support our overhead, which includes these people. So unfortunately, we have to let them go. So there is a, a business decision there. But there's also the human side of it where it's like, okay, there is a business decision. Fair enough. Because uh, that's how businesses operate, right? They all have to balance at the end of the day. But how are we managing to that human element to it? And I remember a few a few shops ago, there was a guy that got like, there was one day where 600 people, I think, had gotten laid off. And I don't know what Ooh. percentage of the workforce was, but that, that was like, oh, my goodness, that's a big number. Right? And I, was, I was fortunate to not be one of them, but one of, the, one of my colleagues was uh, one of them. He didn't have a good reaction to this situation, if no. you can imagine. And, uh, and then there was a lot of, a lot of <laughs> afterwards, like, oh, he probably should have handled it a little better than that. It's like, well, I don't know. You're somewhere for eight, nine years, and, and they just pull you into a boardroom one day and say, okay, f*** off, we're done with you. Um, yeah. You'll get your thing in the mail. It's like, well, that's that's not a normal thing for a human to have to cut ties with so many relationships and just walk out the door and be like, well, this is just a business decision, and I should be respectful of that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, not, you know, not to say that they should go back and shoot the place up because there's, it doesn't have to be one end or the other, you know, somebody could be upset about this and the organizations can try to handle it like, a, you know, like a human being and say, oh, well, yes, this is unfortunate and, and talk through it a little bit more. I don't know. You've probably seen more of that because you've been in mortgage a lot longer than, than I, I have. Was. I have. Yeah. I've been in mortgage and, you know, and that's part of the reason why it's, just on my mind about this hiring part is, you know, I, I mentioned some of the mortgage organizations this week laying off thousands of people, right? Rockets yeah. laying off several thousand, Los Fragos laying off, Flagstar laying off 20% of their workforce. And, you know, there's these organizations that are going to do it correctly, right? They're going to do it 
look, I get some of the business decisions. It, it happens, right? Yeah. There's hard decisions that have to sometimes be made, although that's a whole other story. Can we eliminate the layoff before the layoff happens? Um, you know, for forecasting, but that's a, a ah. another topic for another day. But there's also organizations that are going to do it right that are going to communicate to their other employees that are going to let people go with dignity pull them in individually right there was a big um did you get to see it on social media there's a company called better.com at the end of last year and the ceo did it uh by uh basically a conference call he laid off 900 people you can look up the article better.com it got lambasted because people recorded it and he's like i you know uh some of you are going to go and he had no empathy, I believe is the right one, empathy yeah. at all. He said, you know, this is tough. This is the second time in my career I've had to do this and uh, you're gone. And then later on, posted on an anonymous website that everybody was uh, useless that he laid off. And oh, uh, no. uh, yeah, it was a big thing on social media. Um, and he had That's to take awful. a leave of absence. But he's back again. Um, just a quality guy, by the way. But he had to take a leave of absence on that and social media kind of lambasted him. Yeah. But there's companies that do it where people can leave with dignity. And I think those are the companies that are going to survive and do very well, because they, they also understand that people are one of their most important assets. And I will tell you, you know, being in mortgage, it, it, it cuts, it goes back up and down, back and yeah. forth. And, you know, I I had a personal experience, and I don't, I don't know if I've ever told you this one. And one of the worst layoffs that I ever had is um, it, it was auto finance. And it was December of – so we were pregnant with Jacob. So that was – no, 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 no. I take that back. We're pregnant with uh, – And when he says we, he doesn't – he's not saying me and Adam. He's not – this oh, is not no, the no, we. No, no, no. My wife. My scenario. wife, Jessica. Yeah. My Jessica, not your Jessica. Yes, um, you're not mine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, so we were uh, we were pregnant – yeah, it would have been seven years ago. So we were pregnant with uh, with Mackenzie. And it, I, I remember the date. It was December 12th. Um, laid off. My wife was pregnant. Uh, my daughter was born in March, by the way. And so she was well, well pregnant. She's a physical therapist by trade. So she stopped working at that point. We laid off on December 12th. That was a Monday. That Friday, everybody knew we were going to Germany and we were going to the Christmas markets. So really? pregnant wife, no longer working, who's a physical therapist, independent contractor. We're leaving in five days, four days really at that point to go to Germany for Christmas. And I'm losing my healthcare, my job, unexpected, completely unexpected, no thought, no process to it. Um, so right before Christmas also. So, you know, we ended up taking the trip uh, because we were already like 90% in. Um, but what's interesting and what's so hard about those things is you not only lose your job, your career, you also lose your health care down here in the United States. Yeah. So I lost my health care. So I get COBRA at $2,000 a month. So no matter how much you save, you lose that too. My wife had lost income. And it was really bad when I found out less than a month later, it was asked if I could come back. And they had made a mistake. Uh, they laid off too many people. And um, it was it was a really not a good situation. I was very, very <laughs> not Jeez. happy. Did you go back? No, 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 no. Yeah, well, Luckily, I, I, w- I will tell you, I, I was able to get a job in a, an amazing company. I only stayed at the next company for a very short period of time, but they they were amazing. And I, I still, CBRE is an awesome company to work for. I wish I would, you know, could have stayed there. It was just a different role. Um, but yeah, it was a horrible layoff. And 
been laid off multiple times throughout my career because of mortgage and up and down in finance. And they handled it so poorly that it was an absolute horrible thing. And their culture has been horrible. They've had a revolving door of, um, I I think, gosh, we, I could go look it up, but they've had like six learning managers there since I've left over the course of six, seven years. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just, it's a revolving door, bad culture. They lay off people, they bring them back. They lay off people, bring them back. Um, no rhyme or reason to it. It's private owned by a private equity firm, um, but they don't care about people at all. And so well, that's private uh, it's equity, tough. I think, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, right? That's private and equity. It's sometimes so you live and learn. You you know you give people the dignity of it. And you know I do say, I will tell you, there's a lot of mortgage people out there right now that are looking for jobs. And I hope that the hiring process that they get to go through it. You know, if there's any listeners and a hiring manager, make the process easy. You know, get to know the people, look at their their capabilities, but don't put people through a ringer because they have options too. Um, and that's your first taste. And I can tell you, you know, coming into a new organization after staying at my last one for seven years, I was pumped up because not only from the get go, I had a great conversation. I had a great experience being recruited and it's been great since. And so, um, it kind of carries over to how you onboard people, how you offboard people and how you interview and hire them. Yeah. Oh, sure enough. All right. I think that should be the last word on the topic because it was so well put. Um, unless you have something that you could put better. No, I, I think I, I put a capstone in that, put a pin st- in that, put a feather in it, yeah. stuck the landing. Beautiful. From there. Okay. So you had one final segment you wanted to talk through today. I did. And that was overrated, underrated. This is a segment that I understand Gary Vaynerchuk has, uh, has really kind of worked out in the, uh, in the social media sphere. About you know what what is he 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 rates things whether they're over or under I guess is that what he does? He does. He basically talks about trends and things that are trending, and okay. he gives his own little perspective about overrated or underrated. Okay, all right. So um, let's do the first. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's talk we, about it. Do we do we, we go down the list? Even... Do we have like a minute timer that we do here. How do we do this? <laughs> I need a, no, I need there, there's no real formality to it. Right. Uh, you know, if you guys know Gary Vaynerchuk, there's not a lot of formality into anything Gary does, uh, mm. which, by the way, VFriends 2 just launched. So I don't know if you kept up on that, Dan. What, what was uh, it? What launched? VFriends. VFriends. What is that? <laughs> so Gary. VFriends is Gary, doing? Gary V. He's always doing something. Uh, VFriends is uh, his uh, NFT project, his side oh, project yeah. for okay. NFTs. This okay. is the second version of it bunch of them uh just launched i think yesterday or today um he i'm on his text i'm on his text chain so he texts me all the time about me friends marketing genius i get he I, really I, is he really is i literally like I, there's a whole bunch of texts on here from gary vanderchuk my my wife jessica is like who's gary why does he keep texting it well like he's very excited yeah. <laughs> he's, fired he's, gary, he's fired up gary vanderchuk from yesterday so um He's talking about friends too. Anyway, he has over, overrated, underrated. He talks about different topics in the trending sphere. And uh, I think it's yeah, pretty relevant for us in the learning sphere. And it's one of the things that I've noticed in learning. There's a lot of trends. There's a lot of things that are hot and not always sustainable. And there's a lot of things that are buzzwords. Yeah. Again, not sustainable that, uh, you know, 
talking to vendors these days. That's a whole nother topic and that'll be our next episode where we talk about vendors. But Dan, micro learning overrated or underrated? I am going to say appropriately rated and I'll tell you why. Uh, (laughs) um, I think that Oh, boy. Okay, I think the term is... Hang on. Okay. I think the term is overrated. Okay, we, we, we should have got the, t- the stopwatch. We really should have. I need a title. <laughs> the, the term itself, micro-learning, is overrated, but I think the uh, the utility of it is uh, useful. I mean, they're sound. It's like saying quick reference guides, overrated, underrated. I don't know. They're used pretty well. We don't abuse them too much. Well, maybe it's overused. Oh, overrated. That's what I'm saying. Oh, we're going with overrated. I'm switched. Okay, okay what's your call? Interesting. You-, I, you know, I, I think it's underrated. I still what? think this organ. Yes. You, you know, I beat the drum for microlearning. Mm-hmm. Um, for years now, I think there's still a lot of opportunity with microlearning. And I think about some of the things that we've talked about when we've spoken at ATD, some of the things that we've done. There's a lot of organizations that are still going through uh, the same process and getting yeah. micro learning strategies off the ground. And so I think in the corporate space, there's still an underrated use. And, and, and what I mean by that too is, yeah, people create micro learning videos, but they don't have a great housing solution. So I've yet to find an organization that truly has a YouTube to that capability where it's kind yeah. of pumping content. And so I think it's underrated. I, I think there's a, a still a way to go with micro learning let's talk about uh, i think hybrid oh, learning. just just real quick i was going to say that i think you can get actually like a corporatized version of youtube where you can use their interface but you're still not allowed to talk about the lab leak hypothesis somehow oh. it's still yeah it still censors those videos I'm not sure it's still censored in it. and yeah. there is right there are solutions out there i know there's um, some great solutions with lms's and whatnot coming out but I still think it's underrated. I still think we've got a couple right. years till it is uh, fully capitalized on. I, 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 I want to talk hey, about the next one It's your game. Here. You get the final word on it, man. So, yes. Yep. There you go. Hybrid learning. Hybrid learning. And I'm seeing a lot of articles about this because you and I talked about going back to the office. There's a lot of organizations going back to the office, but not 100%. Interestingly enough, you know, I always said hybrid learning doesn't work very well, right? Because you have people in the in the classroom, you have people on the phone. It's a big thing these days. Overrated. Oh, okay, overrated. is that is that that's how you're defining it? So it's kind of like it's a it's it's a it's a session of sorts that's happening both. Uh, yes. It's it's synchronous, but it's happening both remote and in person at the same time. That is correct. That's kind of stupid. Why would you do that? We, we think, think about the workforce these days, right? Terrible. So you have people coming in Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You have people doing hybrid schedules. And yeah. so they're going to go into learning classes. So where, you know, organizations, you know, my organization is is very remote. I don't even have an office here in Dallas. But there is offices. And people are in Costa Mesa. And so we're doing things where some people are in an office, some people are not. And mm-hmm. to tell those people that went to an office, Hey, you got to go leave because half your work. Why wouldn't they just do it from their desk? Why wouldn't they attend the same thing that everybody else's? Or, or I mean, what? Then you got to look at breakout rooms. So you just oh, because a game I like to play is like, how can we make it work? Uh, Because sometimes you don't get the choice, right? So sometimes you have to make it work. And I guess the uh, I would make everybody do it from their own individual computer or. 
Um, I would have some sort of proctor, I suppose, running the virtual piece to manage the breakout rooms while we did in-person discussions to try to give a similar sort of takeaway event. I don't know. So I guess it's doable, but I, I, it seems more complicated than it needs to be, if you ask me. It does. I'll be curious on this one because I, I, I think it's going to be really interesting. If I'm not mistaken, Cindy Hug is doing a survey currently about this, a quick uh, question survey. I'll be interested to see her results on that one. But it's a big topic that I'm seeing out there. AR, VR, this has been hot in the learning and development spaces. You've talked about this one a little bit. I, I have. think it's some podcasts. Overrated, I underrated. I think it's overrated. I like it. So I like it. There's there's applications I can see for it, but I think they're still too niche. And I think that humans can still do things that don't require a headset with completely blowing out all their regular senses. I don't know. I agree. I think it's uh, I think it's greatly overrated at its current state with its current tools. I think we have a... a another area of a long way to go gamification which used to be a hot button you're certified sure and gamified it, you i mean a couple years ago everyone was going to gamify everything yeah overrated underrated currently i'm gonna say currently it's underrated because underrated. I, I think what's happened is i'll tell you what i think what's happened is people have taken the various concepts of gamification which are really just uh, an extension of uh psychology that's all they are right psychology and science and play a little bit they've taken those things and they've said it's gamification it's old news that was eight years ago blah, 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 blah. but but there's still really important things that we could use within gamification. And it doesn't have to be like, move the piece along, move your sexual harassment piece along the compliance board. <laughs> no, it's not going to be like that, right? But it's, it's um, I, I think there's elements. There are very, very valuable elements in there that we aren't utilizing that have probably been the babies tossed out with the bathwater. Gotcha. Last one coming at you. Learning management systems. Learning management systems overrated without a doubt. <laughs> overrated by corporations, uh, appropriately rated by learning professionals. Nice. I love it. And I agree so much. Corporations are, we're going to get a new LMS that's going to solve our learning uh, needs yeah. and it's going to solve and it's going to get people to learn and do their jobs better. And the LMS is just a tool. And, Can't uh, we just, let's just put it in the LMS. Can you put it in the LMS? The, the, the quick reference guide. You want the PDF, the one-page PDF in the LMS. That's what you and want. Can you assign it to everyone and give them a quiz at eighty yeah. percent to make sure that they did that information? But so, though, can we can we validate they read the quick reference guide that we've assigned <laughs> to them? Well, this is the new LMS, Jesus. though. It has new functionality that's going to make it bite size yeah. in yeah. the flow of work for yes. for our employees. Yeah, oh, completely overrated, and it's uh, it's really amazing. The more I see it different organizations now yeah. have all of the different sales um, pitches for each one of these LMSs and it's, it's just a place to house some learning and uh, I think they're very overrated and there's an opportunity there so yeah you know I'm going to take issue with something you said you said it's a place to house some learning I think it's a place to house some SCORM files that's what it is and SCORM files are unfortunately not learning Ooh, they're SCORM what files what do you mean by that well, what the f- who's to say anybody learns anything out of a click next experience, right? It's all in the design. 
And and I'm not even smart enough to tell you how to properly design something. I know there's a few books that are on my shelf that I probably should have read at this point, but I haven't. That would help me with that problem. But unless you design it well, and unless you get practiced, uh, like deliberate practice, practice built into the module, or you get really, really solid branching scenarios that allow people to you know beat those mental paths down in their mind, then you could put anything you want in there. And it's still not necessarily going to equate to learning, you know, taking the, it, it's, uh, I do 20 hours of compliance training a year. I've learned a lot from you, those compliance trainings. I haven't <laughs> grabbed somebody <laughs> in years. In years. I haven't yeah. done it. Um, no, I tend to agree. Uh, it, it's funny about, uh, those scorn packages of, you know, putting it, putting them in. I, I think it's all about how it's designed also. And sure. a lot of those are over-designed. That was one of the other over, uh, overrated, underrated was long-form e-learning. And um, I actually feel, I, I didn't even use that one, but I think that one's overrated. I think there's a lot of people that are focused on creating long-form e-learning. And I, I'll be honest, I think businesses move too fast for a lot of that longer form e-learning for the amount of time it takes to build a really good course. And so I think sometimes to your point, when we were talking about hiring in the beginning about one of the people that you looked for specific skill sets, the skill sets of being able to edit, to be able to create engaging content is just as much, if not more important than some of your older instructional design systems background, um, at least for, I'm going to say it, Dan, the modern learner these days. (laughs) And the modern learner uh, is looking for content that uh, (laughs) is uh, fast. It's different and it's engaging. Gotta be snappy. snappy. Yes, sir. Hey, um, so I mentioned books on my shelf. There is a book on my shelf these days, and this was uh, mentioned by – so I don't have – I want to clarify something. I don't have social media on my phone, but I still do have a LinkedIn account that I uh, pop into maybe once a day. And there's a guy that I pay a lot of attention to, Donald Clark. He's, uh, I don't know, Amazing. He's from somewhere in the UK. Smart dude, though, very kind of science based. He's got kind of a – not critical in a bitchy way, but critical in like a – Guys, these things aren't working like you think they're working, and you're just not paying close enough attention. That that's kind of, but he's smart and he really explains stuff out, uh, at length. And he had commented recently about a book called The Story Paradox, uh, written by a guy named Jonathan Gottschall. And really interesting book so far. Uh, the concept will probably make sense. I don't know. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't to you, um, you folks out there. But the gist is. The, the power of story, which is something that we have seen corporations and uh, leadership groups in L&D as well. I know uh, Rance Green from uh, from mm-hmm. Texas as well. ATD, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got kind of a story piece, um, a, a book about storytelling or designing with stories, that sort of thing. But there's a lot of folks out there that are doing that. Um because it makes good sense because we, as humans, we're built for stories. That's how we're built. That's how like around the campfire was how information got transferred to begin with, right? Um, but this book says, yes, stories, but they are also at the source of a lot of tragedies, at a lot of conspiracies, at a lot of, you know, societies fighting each other, like a lot of the thing, propaganda in general. And and I'm not I'm not saying you're being propagandized. I mean, you are. But um, that's not what I'm here to talk about. <laughs> but just like the concept of propaganda, right? It's always done through the lens of a story. 
They're always telling a story somehow. So he's identifying the manipulative qualities that we've for so long heralded up as guys, stories. And I'm just going to frame this a little bit differently because we talk about how powerful and moving stories are. It's how manipulative stories are, right? They're, you just put a different word on it. We're being manipulated into feeling a certain way or to making a certain decision or thinking that things are, you know, maybe reevaluating our value structures and saying, "Mm, you know what, that is more important than that. Um, And stories are the things that are doing that as well. And they could be doing it in a way that is actually detrimental to our future or ourself, you know? Um, so it's, it's just, it's highlighting the, the negative power it's, it's, you know, I've described Twitter like this for years where it's a tool, um, but it can be used for good or for evil. Now it's a tool that's kind of been warped and deformed, I think by the engineers that are there behind the wheel, but like a hammer dynamite, same thing. These are tools that can be used for very good things, but occasionally they're recognized as weapons of destruction. And that's that's kind of what uh, what this uh, this book's about. So it's kind of interesting in that sense, where it's a very very different lens on storytelling. And and I, I've only gotten about a third of the way, or maybe a quarter of the way through, but I have a feeling it's going to be a cautionary tale. Like you know, use them, but don't don't use them for evil. You know, don't use them for evil. Uh, as I and I think you did, is this a jab? Because you know, I just did a storytelling class the other day. So I might've done it for evil. Well, now I have to go back to our participants and say, hey, just kidding. You got no. to use, so, use it for good. I, I really evil. do. You know, I value and I love stories. And that's that's like a lot of the book goes into that. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're built to, and actually a book that he wrote before this one was heralding and praising storytelling at large. Like, wow, these things are wonderful. But of course, you know, through I'm sure his research in that, he found some not so nice stories. And then he kind of explored that concept a little bit more. But they're a tool that can be used for good. But the, I guess the problem is you're the storyteller is the one that's decided if, if it's really an intentional situation, not just like, hey, this happened happen to be one time that's now wild um but if they're if you're trying like if you see a ceo or somebody doing a ted talk there's a reason they're doing that story right and it's probably mm-hmm. to get your thinking very much aligned with their thinking or to challenge things that you might have in your head and maybe those things are in your head for a very good reason um so somebody that's a very good manipulator or storyteller i mean lawyers they're the butts of a lot of jokes but really, they try to structure things and structure stories to convince 12 very important people to make a certain decision. Right. So it's, I don't know. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's it's interesting. So I'm kind of getting through it and I'll see how it gets. But uh, Interesting. Yeah. No, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen Donald Clark's stuff. That'll be an interesting book. And uh, I, I'm curious to yeah. next time what we talk about on it. Donald Clark is really one of those guys. He, he's one of the L&D people that I really consistently, when I see him talking, I find myself nodding and saying, yeah, yeah, you're, you're kind of right, man. Um, he just, he really, from, from my perspective, really has a lot of things nailed down and is, uh, I, I mean, in some ways, you know, he, it seems like he's got himself a bit of a following. So he's, I'm not going to say insulated, but he's comfortable. Uh, I would wager with. Um, Poking holes. Say, Poking holes. Yeah. Yeah. With poking, poking holes, holes in situations and, and not fearing, you know, like uh, the screaming memes coming back at him. <laughs> Cause there's a lot of, uh, a lot of that. And I, <laughs> and I think there's a lot of uh, information in our profession that just doesn't matter. Right. Oh, and there's a lot 100%. of people that are focused on the wrong stuff and um, across the board. And, 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 you know, there's, there's aspects of adult learning theory that are important. There's aspects in instructional design that are important, 
But there's also aspects of understanding the business and the people that we support. And mm-hmm. I, I fear a lot, oh gosh, you know, going into the the, the people online that are raging against about all our fun topics of how oh, learning learning styles don't exist, blah, blah, blah. Like going into all of these different things with the data, at the end of the day, it, it, it's somebody helping the business and is the business moving forward. Whether it's in a book, in, in valid, is, is it moving the business forward? And sometimes there's corners that have to be cut um, because it, when I think about you know, our profession, we support the business. There's, there's no learning yeah. without the business. And so that's where our, our, our online, it gets a, gets a little, little chaotic. It does. <laughs> recently. It does. Could, could you imagine if every, every learning department, every learning professional specifically only solved business problems? Could you imagine how much more efficient businesses actually are? Like how many problems or how much time is spent from – what could be considered a learning department that isn't actually solving a business problem per se. Like, I feel like there's a lot of social things that they're trying to tackle or you know, different perspectives. And there's a lot of sometimes processes and things that we do sure. because we think that it's helping or that, that, that really doesn't. Yeah. Uh, or we do our own process because we want to do our own process to hold true to it. And yeah. then we're left behind, right? Yeah. And we're not nimble or agile enough to keep up with the business. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, I see a lot of that with the design process of like, Hey, we got to go into step one, step two, step three. Uh, like you know, we, we need to go because they need it next week. Can't like, I get it, but I'm not going to hold up a launch on something we, we may have to get something and it may not have yeah. every sound instructional design side but it needs to be done and it needs to be functional yeah. and sometimes functional is okay yeah. um and you wouldn't know that by by reading some of the comments lately <laughs> and uh i think in the social side you know the kind of lambasting people when they come out and say those things so it's great that you know don yeah. clark does that and kind of goes against the grain on some of those. That's right, man. Uh, don't sacrifice the good in for the sake of the perfect. Isn't that how it goes? Yes. I think that's it. I think, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, mosby.ca slash 036. Adam Costix, should you want people to find you, where would they go? Just LinkedIn. Just, Just go LinkedIn. to LinkedIn. Just LinkedIn. There you but go. we can go to Twitter too. I am on Twitter. <laughs> Tweeting uh, up the star. His last Six name is tweets. spelled C O S T A K E S. Adam is the traditional spelling, I believe, right? It is. Yeah. The one and only. First man. The first name, the first man, first the first man. everything. There you go. Uh, if you uh, want to reach out to me, well, at this stage, I'm not sure why you would. Uh, my last name spelled H-I-R-T. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Don't look for anywhere else um, because you won't find it that interesting. And if you want to send an email to the show, mosbylearning at gmail.com. Thank you, folks. I'll be looking. You'll be looking. Yeah, like a hawk. Hawk. Unbelievable. Cones and rods. A mile long. All right. See you later, folks. See you. Take care.